0: Welcome, travelers. I'm Josh. I'm Glenn. And I'm Lee Wanika, and this is Tabletop Journeys, where we will be your humble guides on the quest
1: to RPG adventures. Here at Tabletop Journeys, we are all devoted role players and storytellers at heart, and we absolutely love sharing our passion with you.
2: In our main podcast episodes, we discuss D&D 5E's core rules and ever-expanding content, while also showcasing other RPG systems and bringing you fresh, new projects from indie content creators.
0: Let us help you get the most out of your story, no matter what game world you're playing in, because detailed settings, heroic characters, vibrant NPCs, and a focus on story over rules can make any campaign legendary.
2: A message from friends of the show. My name is Nick Perrin, and I'm an actor, writer, and game master. And on Tabletopd, I talk with an expert game master every week to find out the best ways to run amazing games and tell epic stories. Looking to start DMing? Or maybe you've been a game master for a long time and want to spice up your table? Then this podcast is for you. Tabletopd is released on Mondays, wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome, everybody, to part two of our class discussion swan song for the year here. We are going to be talking the Bard subclasses tonight. I welcome, as always, my erstwhile co-hosts, Mr. Myers, Mr. Miller. Good evening, good evening, good evening. Welcome to Bard part two. How are you, gentlemen, this evening?
1: Doing pretty good, but I got to know up front, is this one going to be as bad as the last one?
2: it's definitely it's going to be it's definitely going to be just as bad as the last one yeah yeah awful the awful. joke wasn't I, any better the second time either no it was really it really wasn't yeah awful terrible so, how about you Mister how, yes. <laughs> <laughs> how about you mr miller how are you doing tonight
0: I am having a great night. We record in batches. For those who have been listening to the show, they realize that most of our class discussions are immediately followed by our subclass rankings. At the time of this recording, I've come off of a nice week of Barty stuff. So I'm really looking forward to the subclass rankings because as we discussed in our last episode, The flavor is coming from these subclasses. So I think this is where the real nuts and bolts of of these discussions and what we really like about them are going to come out. The things we want to do with the bar, the things we enjoy doing about the bar, the possibilities and the hopes and futures are going to come out in these subclasses where they didn't necessarily shine in the core class. And uh, I'm interested to see, I, I did a quick peek at some of our rankings. I'm interested to see where some things come up, whether it's strictly on a not my style kind of basis or other yeah. mechanical things that I saw that you may not have seen, or you guys have seen that I didn't yeah.
2: see. The numbers are all over yeah. the place. They really are. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that speaks to how difficult, look, sometimes these subclass rankings are really hard because all the subclasses are great or all of them are, they all just kind of have like this unique bent or something like that. And that's not necessarily the issue with Bard, um, but this was still really tough. Like, I'm not sure that, I'm not sure that any of them like bowled me over, but I did find like a situation where I got to the end of the rankings and I was kind of like, man, gave such and such a subclass a two for flavor. I found myself like, Playing a little bit of three card Monty a lot to shifting some things around here. So that, that's I stand I by that. my subclass rankings per always, but I'm not sure that I actually stand by them that strongly.
1: <laughs> From that perspective, in the rankings, the middle field is still pretty close, right? Yeah. And if we've got eight classes, there's gonna be one through eight. The one the two that I have ranked the lowest yeah. are probably the two I like the least. Yeah. Everything right. in the middle is probably pretty Tied. Yeah.
2: everything on my list was very middle like I did not nothing stood out and nothing was awful
1: yeah similarly
0: I found that I whether it be mechanical or flavor there's some things that ranked far lower than I would have been I went into this thinking they would land simply because as we said any class that has a small number of subclasses at the end of the day if there's only eight something's gonna fall to three and three is not bad if there's only eight yeah, yeah. four five and six are middle That means they're pretty good. That means they're decent. That that does not mean fundamentally there's a problem. Three is just slightly worse than that middle heap. But really one and two are the only ones that I would say, yeah, those are pretty universally not the ones I like. Whereas four, five, and six are not bad by any stretch. So I I think that I tended to go a little higher on my X factor, on my wild card, simply because of that. Speaking of wild card, Josh, why don't you let the folks at home know how we do the ranking?
2: Sure, absolutely, here. Again, as you said, eight subclasses, so that means that we're going to rank all eight in order on their mechanics and their flavor with a score of one through eight, and then we kind of have two pools of points that we can use to go ahead and balance out the scores as we see them. One of them is going to be our desire to play this particular subclass, or whether or not we played them before and enjoyed it and that kind of thing. Each subclass gets a score of one through ten for that, and also a wild card group of points that allow us to, again, massage the scores to maybe put it better in line with how we actually feel about a particular subclass subclass, uh, that also gets 1 through 10. So that means that each of these subclasses is ranked somewhere between a 4 and a 36. So if I'm looking down through all of our scores here, I see that there are two scores in the 30s. Cuz got one and Glenn's got one. You also uh, have one.
0: No. You also have one.
2: Do I have one? I do yeah. have one. You're absolutely right. Yep, and Glenn and I have same the same one, one. as mine. So that's, yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. So all of us came up with one in the 30s, but the vast majority of the scores are in the 20s. There are very few even in the 10s. In fact, Lewinika, you've got Two. You've got 112 and 119. I'm going to, for the sake of argument, I'm going to call it 19 to 20. Yeah, you do not want to uh, talk about
1: mine. I've got a 16 to 19, 11, and a 17.
2: But. Yeah, yeah. But really, the vast majority are in the 20s. And so that, again, speaks to, I think, the point that we were talking about earlier about how, like, uh, so many of these subclasses are very – there's nothing special about them, but – there's nothing horrible about them either. <laughs> maybe the, when we get to when we get to your 11 in particular, Glenn. Maybe we'll go ahead and dive into that one. Levanik, you have got a 12. I've got a 13. Like some kind of bottom of the barrel, although they're all different, which is fun. Yeah, we'll see how this how this how works out here. As always, we're going to start in appearance order, so that means that our first one is going to be the College of Lore from the Player's Handbook. So D20s to the ready, gentlemen. Let's see who gets oh, to start.
1: I got to get one of those out.
2: I know you always forget this bit.
1: <laughs> They're right here beside me. It's okay.
2: Am I the only one that... I mean, that, granted, I've got like, six sets of dice that are like within reach of me. Oof, just snap. Like
1: Natural 20.
2: All right. I got a 15, so I guess that means Glenn's going first.
1: He comes Glenn out swinging. Going first. That means I get advantage <laughs> on initiative next round, right? It is. It's true. All right,
2: Mr. Myers, the mm. lore bard. Start us off.
1: All right. The lore bard's not a bad one for me to start with either, because I do the lore bard quite a lot. So here's the thing. And my score on this one's a little bit all over the place. I ranked it highest in mechanics and worst for flavor. And I s- did Which it that is way. Interesting, yeah. Specifically <laughs> because I think its mechanics fit what the class, the subclass is supposed to do. They yep. don't do it in an overpowered or underpowered way. Bonus proficiencies for three more skills. The bard's already a skill monkey, but if you're a lore bard, that makes sense, right? Yep. Cutting Words is one of the best third-level abilities written for the Bard, in my opinion, where you can distract somebody as a reaction. And again, it's letting you do it not predicting the future with a bonus action, but on the fly. Additional Magical Secrets, which is arguably the best Bard ability, comes at level 6 to let you start customizing your spell list a little bit more much, much earlier. Now, is that lackluster, considering it then repeats in the regular bard tier? Yeah, but compared to what the other bards are getting, it's pretty hot. Peerless skill isn't anything great for a capstone ability, but it is a level 14 capstone ability, so it's not late. But anytime you make an ability check, whether you're proficient or not, you can expend the use of bardic inspiration and add that number to your proficiency check, which is basically going to mean you're not going to fail skill checks hardly ever at that point. Yeah. you have the inspiration die to use and it's important enough to use an inspiration die on, to be honest, the mechanic because of all of those factors is a little weak, but in terms of the way they wrote the bard, it's about as good as it gets. It's about as good as it's going to get. Yeah. (laughs) Every power was on point. Yep. Yeah. Could it be a little bit better? Yes. So I gave it perfect mechanics. I ranked it lowest for flavor because aside from we learn a lot and we study, it doesn't do anything.
2: Right. I guess you could argue that the lore bard flavor is what gives it its access to other school other spell lists. Right? You could say that's where that comes from. But you're right. Like cutting words for a lore bard doesn't make sense. That's there was the UA bard class, the college of satire. Cutting mm. words is a college of satire power, right? That's not a lore power. I thought that the lore bard was fine. I thought it was I actually ranked it fairly low. It was a 16 out of, out of 36 or whatever. Like, middle of the road, that was fine. I think that the, that peerless skill suffers from, again, one of these old kind of trope mechanics that Wizards of the Coast trotted out a lot in the player's handbook, and that's that you can add something onto a roll, but be after you know the score, but before you know if you succeeded or not... That's the kind of thing. It just never works well at the table when that happens because you always know exchange is
1: too fast. Yeah,
2: the exchange is too fast. Exactly right. So I hope that that they're getting rid of that. Yeah, it's the College of Lore was very much a first subclass in the player's handbooks kind of class. We see, we have seen this in every class along the way that the first one that they trot out there is like the template and then it's everything else gets judged against it.
1: It's the classic air quotes version of the bard. I would concur with that. The fighter
0: has the champion. The rogue has the thief. Different classes have their different things. But the lore bard is what you think of when you think of a bard. That is the more classic example of a bard. I found it a little bit better than the two of you, but I've had the pleasure of having one played at my table for six years. I have seen what the lore bar does, and I find that its features play better than they read. Specifically, when you look at, at peerless, one of the things you want to think about is the fact that that addition comes at a level with the other class features in a bard. It is rare that a bard ever scores less than a 20 right, on a skill check. Some of the things that, that as I understand count as skill checks. We don't think of as skill checks all that often or ability checks or what have you. Does that, is that ability checks or just skill checks? Please correct
1: me on this. Abil- it's, it's, ability it's written checks. for ability checks and skill so, checks are ability checks. Right. But do you know what is also an ability check? Initiative. Checks, ability. text checks, and all of those too.
0: Initiative is an ability check, which means if you have the need to go first, you are likely going to go first as a 14th level bard and higher. I think those are things that are very understated until you're at the table and the suave bard player says, hold on, Mr. DM, Mr. Storyteller, I'm about to break your soul. (laughs) You don't get to kill the the innocent victim before I get to go. And then they get to go. I think there's some things that kind of are understated in the writing that play very differently at the table that I have had the opportunity to see. So I rank it a little bit higher there. I found that the mechanics stayed at about a stayed at a six for me out of eight because i think they are solid while it is only an expansion of what exists and nothing new there's no new ground being broken with the subclass that's why i dropped the flavor the flavor came down to a four for me but yeah. that expansion on what it, a bard does i thought was pretty strong and i just could not say no to those magical secrets at six level that's yeah. that's just really good and then For the wild card and the desire to play, it's a seven. This is a character type that I could have a lot of fun in a wide variety of campaigns at a wide variety of tables. This is not a niche character. This fills a lot of voids and there's a lot of places it can go and I would have fun doing that.
2: Yeah, let's move on to the College of Valor here. But just one other quick thing on your about initiative being a ability check. That means that cutting words can also be used to foil your bad guys' initiative check. So remember that, absolutely, sort of and players. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Your stated abilities at the table.
2: Absolutely. Okay. D 20s and uh, Mr. Myers, you get initiative for your D twenty last time. Advantage. Yeah. A one and a four. Nice. I'd keep the four. I'll keep the four four because I'm rocking a 10. I got a two. Mr. Miller, College of Valor. I'm I'm middle with a four. (laughs) (laughs) The craziness. We're going to jump on to the
0: College of Valor. And I will say, after Class Warfare, which was played at the time of this recording, not very long ago, a week ago, I would not have ranked this higher had it not been for the way Josh played. And I'm very interested in your discussion about this because you went totally opposite where i thought you were going with it i thought what you did during class warfare was so freaking hot that i had tell me more (laughs) i absolutely was all for it i thought what you were able to do and despite some of the comments that you made where at a certain point you wanted to you you just wanted to go ahead and cast more spells versus fight or do something different because of the damage output I thought you being able to be there was instrumental, even though I went down like three times during that combat, was right. instrumental in me actually being able to survive that combat. Yeah, uh, Because you kept doing damage when I spent at least one turn or one or two rounds not doing damage. Yep. And I thought that was very key to what we were doing. And in a full party, that is one of those things that I think is, again, understated at the table. And I found the mechanics to be a seven. I really enjoyed what you were able to do with that. I liked the way the powers played. Yep. Who cares how they're written if they play well? That's yep. really where I went with that. I think the flavor, however, really suffered. I didn't get a lot when reading it out of the flavor, other than what you brought to it at the table. So the yeah. flavor dropped to a three for me. But wild card, I probably would have given this a six, maybe a seven at most before that game. After that game, I went nine for wild card. And even for my desire to play it would have probably been a three or four until I saw you play it. And it went up to a seven for me on that. The only thing that gives me pause and not make that higher is because when I find something that has played exceptionally well, I tend to not want to play that right away because then all I'm doing is carbon copying
2: <laughs> copy, carbon and carbon I
0: don't want to do that. I want to do my own spin, so <laughs> I will give it a while before I ever play this, which is why it dropped to a seven, but I really would like to. If I was handed one of these, I'm going to have fun with it. I'm going to rock some worlds, and I will surprise people with
1: what a bard can do. Yeah.
2: Go ahead, Glenn. You had second point.
1: So, <clears throat> College of Valor. I dig it. It's probably, it's not just probably, the numbers don't lie. It's my second highest ranked subclass. What? I went back and forth between it and Lore over who was going to get the top mechanics ranking. In the end, the reason I gave it to Lore is because I think that both College of Valor and College of Swords is which missing one crucial third-level ability that both of them should have, which is an ability that lets them substitute their Charisma modifier for their attack and damage yep. bonuses. If you're going to take a Charisma, Wisdom, Or intelligence-based character and try to turn them into a melee character. you got to throw them a bone man. They can't cover all of the physical stats, too. So just like the Hexblade, take a page out of their book and give them their prime requisite as an ability. You're not talking about for the whole class. You're just talking about for your warrior-like subclass. And let them use their primary attribute for their damage. That would That's what would make up the difference. Even if they're only using a rapier or in the instance of Valor because you get all martial weapons, yep. you could in theory be using a greatsword if you chose with College of Valor. Because it doesn't even specify that they can't be heavy. And that's what would make the difference to make them actually be able to be effective in that role. That's the only reason that I, I didn't give it the top. And Wild Card and Have Not, and whether or not I want to play one, I would definitely roll out of the Valor Bard. Though I did realize that this was their attempt at the scald, like the Warrior Bard.
2: Yep, for sure, yeah. The Warrior Poet, Scottish, William Wallace type character, absolutely. So let me let you in on a little secret, Unica. The coolest thing, and here's why I ranked the College of Valor so low. This was my 13, right? This was the lowest ranked subclass that I had out there. The coolest things that I was able to do in that battle were based on my feats. They were not based on the class abilities themselves. The two feats that I took was, I took Magic Initiate, Sorcerer, which again, bumped up my charisma, made my charisma better, but also gave me Green Flame Blade, Mind Sliver, and Thunder Wave. Three really powerful spells, which are not normally on the Bard list. And then the other feat that I took was Shadow Touched, which also bumped up my charisma, making all of my Bardic stuff better. But that's what gave me ray of sickness and invisibility so that I could so that I could be so effective in combat. And it was not the Bard stuff that let me do what I wanted to do. The extra attack was really nice and everything like that. So College of Valor wasn't like Actively working against me. Okay, I guess the Thunderwave is on the bottom the list. Thank you, Glenn. I appreciate that. But m- neither Green Flame Blade or Mind Sliver are. So it's like it gave me some. It gave me some nice offensive spells in my repertoire, and that's why I, I talked about this on last level. That being upfront and personal was great when there were multiple foes that we had to go ahead and fight, but. Once it got down to one big bad being next to him and fighting versus stepping away and doing more damage with my ranged spells, that was an easy calculation. And even then, I got down to six hit points, and that was after, if I remember correctly, it was Scald that did a tremendous heal on me to go ahead and keep me up and running. And I still got down to six hit points. And I know I'm like I know that you dropped below zero a couple of times. I was like every round there for a while, but yeah. Hey,
1: I thought I was going to get to drop both of you. I was really excited for yeah, that.
2: but you almost got me too. And I think if both of us had dropped it, it would have been it, we would have been done for. It really we needed, might have been you know.
0: looking at a wizard one again.
2: <laughs>
0: uh, exactly right.
2: So but the that, coolest things that I was able to do weren't related
0: to the to, weren't related to the class. So that's really interesting. I was not aware of that, and I am glad that that came out in this discussion. So that has given me some pause and food for thought. I will say this though: one of the things that I remember from a couple of years ago. Um, maybe, yeah, about a year or two ago, I was listening to a or watching a YouTube from the Dungeon Dudes, and they had mentioned that the difference between the Valor Bard and the Swords Bard is the Swords Bard is the better melee one, and yeah. if you build your Valor Bard with range in mind, you will yep. be more successful, which is kind of to the point that you just eliminated. Yep. Doing yeah. it as a range option, using your feats per se, sharpshooter and sniper or what have you, it would be great. And in that case, it illuminates arch- why is an archery a an option for a fighting style? Yeah, uh, that's so interesting. Valibards don't get the fighting style. It's the sword bards that get the fighting style. So Correct. I think there's a, little, a, there's a yeah. little discrepancy there. Like Maybe they should be one subclass and then yeah. they give you a few more options as far as what feats so you can diversify the type of combatant you wish to be. Correct. Um, that, that might help. Maybe it uh, shouldn't be separated.
2: I I know, agreed. Because thought. the thing that Valor bards get, and the reason why I went with, Valor, with the Valor bard is because both Valor bards and Sword bards get medium armor. Only Valor bards get shields and martial weapons. The Sword bard gets scimitar exclusively, which is why I thought like the Sword bard was more of a swashbuckler versus the kind of fighter that I wanted to be, which is more the tanky fighter. Yep. So those are the two from the Player's Handbook. Let's move on to Xanathar's Guide to Everything and the Glamour Bard. D20s to the roll. Ooh, it's an 11 for me.
1: That's a 15. Ooh, right. five. Lisa, no, I got a five. <laughs> all right, so, Mr. Miller, you go again.
0: So I'm going to lead off with what was my least favorite <laughs> subclass, the Glamour Bard. And I will say this about the Glamour Bard. I want like this so much more <laughs> than after yeah. I read it I did. Look, yeah. I love me some Faye bullshit. I love I love that first power, that that early power mantle of inspiration. That had me like, okay, this is going places. And then and then it kind of went on and it was like it went from good to niche to like, okay. And part of it is this is just not my cup of tea. I'm not big on charm type characters. I don't right. do charm type characters. I find it uncool to to use a charm power versus role play and convince people. And I don't know why that is. That's just my style of play. It can I be do. used to cringy effects, but which I wouldn't do anyway. But I find that charm type characters are so limited to charm type things that if you're not going to do the cringier things, you're so limited, like you're waiting for that one moment hopefully yeah. per game, likely per tier, that you get to do your thing. It just doesn't show up enough. My definition becomes niche, which is why it fell to one for mechanics. I didn't feel it felt fay like They kept saying the word. The word fay appears frequently throughout this subclass but nothing about it felt fake. Like I wanted more imagery. I wanted David Bowie and the Goblin King, but I realized that that was what I was putting on it. It wasn't what was on the page. And so I, even the flavor felt a one for me. As far as wild card and desire to play, honestly, I left it at a five because the core bard is good enough where if this was, uh, and I guess this is how I decided want to play. Unless I would say I don't want to play this thing. If you handed me a pre-gen, And it was a glamour bard. I would not. It would not be my first choice by any stretch, but I would not actively say I don't want to play today. It wouldn't tell me don't play D and D. And so for me, that's a five. I don't think I've ever ranked anything. Want to play less than five because at the end of the day, I always want to play D and D so much that. Five becomes my default. (laughs) Something would have to be pretty dang bad looking at you berserker to probably be less than a five for desire to play. And so it comes out really poor in the ranks just because it really just, it doesn't feel fey. It has a set of abilities that I find cringe and not worthy of playing at the table. I don't enjoy them. If you're a player who likes playing these and you don't play cringy type things and you can have fun with it, have at it all you baby do you. It's just not my thing.
2: Yeah, I find it interesting that you look at Mantle of Majesty and Unbreakable Majesty and don't see David Bowie from Labyrinth. because I think that those two were the most fey abilities, that kind of supernatural, glamorous beauty that is distracting more than anything else. Otherwise, I agree with you a lot that I liked the flavor. I liked the flavor a lot in this subclass, but I did not think that the mechanics were very good. I thought that the mechanics were pretty poor. I agree with you. Enthralling performance it's just got it's what makes the glamour bard the epitome of the horny bard stereotype because it's that's the i'm gonna seduce the bar wench and take her with me and all that sort of thing it's, it's the
1: groupie making ability yeah
2: exactly not my
1: favorite so it's not just the groupie making ability it's weird like we talk regularly on game <laughs> mechanics and the yeah. time the relevant time factors yep. this ability is is if you perform for at least one minute. There is no one-minute mechanic anywhere, so... Ten rounds. Exactly, so the one minute is shorthand for don't do it in battle. I know, but still, it's just whack. And you get this charm effect. Okay, you can make some groupies. That one's all right. You got Mantle of Inspiration, the one before it, which honestly I think is just a little bit weird. You gain some temporary hit points, and as a reaction, you can move up to your speed without provoking opportunity attacks. Is there a use for that? Absolutely, but as one of your core, hey, this is supposed to be cool for you to use all the time, third-level abilities? It doesn't fit. It doesn't narratively fit. What is it
2: related to? It doesn't tie into the first sentence. As a bonus action, you can expend one use of your bonus inspiration and grant yourself a wondrous appearance. What do you get for your wondrous appearance? No benefit to your charisma. No benefit to anything else. Nope, you get some temporary hit points, and you can move again.
1: Oh, and you can pick up to 60 feet of you, but only up to your charisma modifiers. so you do this, too. It's not even for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And how many of these abilities are going to give you a wondrous performance? Because Mantle of Whispers, you assume a wondrous appearance. Unbreakable Majesty, something about your Imperius changes permanently. And as a bonus action, you can assume a magically majestic uh, presence for one minute. I don't know. And that's the only ability that I really thought was worth a hoot. But I think it would be better if it was on all the time. I'm so pretty. You won't attack me. You'll have to yep. make a charisma or choose somebody else. Yep. That's the only ability that I thought was worth a crap. But it's very cringe in Mantle of Majesty with one minute of everyone must obey your commands and stuff.
2: Yeah,
1: I'm not a big fan, kind of landing Lee Winika's camp on this, in terms of... And it's okay to edge it a little bit. Obi-Wan used the dark side of the Force to say these are not the droids you're looking for. But generally speaking, once you're altering somebody else's independently individual sanctity of their mind. I'm saying all of that wrong. I can't think of the word I'm after, but whatever. Once you're basically taking over somebody's brain, there's not a whole lot about that situation that you can relate to being heroic. Yeah.
0: Yeah, agreed. I think that movement piece would have been much better suited nesting somewhere as a ribbon ability to go with either the Valor or the Sword Bard, because them being combatant and having movement would be better. Yeah, uh, especially
2: the Sword Bard, yeah.
0: Glamour could have been so much more. I wanted
2: Fae stuff. And we're only three And Speaking of College of Swords, D20s to the ready, gentlemen.
1: Let's do it.
2: 12. Uh, 14 for me.
0: Not 20.
2: All right. Mr. Miller's got the hot dice tonight, apparently.
0: Sweat it up. All right. College of Swords. Another one that fell, I actually expected to like this more than I did, but it didn't take away from my desire to play it. Some of the mechanics just fell. I don't think they got where they needed to be for the same reasons I spoke about with the Valor Bard. I think this would have been better served as mixing the two into one subclass. And then I would have really thought it would have been hot. I just don't yeah. think it did enough of what it, what I wanted. Uh, two fighting styles were great. They should have had more or access to build your combatant any way you wanted and given them all of them. I think that would have been the answer. You can choose a fighting style from any of the above. Uh, You do. You would have been the better way to build
2: that. Pick one at third, pick another one at eighth, another one at blah, blah, blah. Yeah, Yeah.
0: Something like that. The Bard Flourishes, I really liked them, but using inspiration to me was too limiting for it. I think you're not, if you're going to be doing a thing, especially uh, it, it, oftentimes during a combat I don't know if you have enough times to do this. Five in a short rest or in a long rest early and then later on at a short rest is not an uh, I don't think you do this enough. I've said it before. If the thing that you're known for you can only do twice in, in, in a scenario, why are you even known for it? It just yeah. falls flat for me and that's why mechanically this fell. And then I love each flourish. There's nothing wrong with the flourishes. You just can't do them enough to yep. make it worthwhile for me. So other than that, my the wild card, I gave it a six in reading it. It fell a little flatter than I wanted. It unsurprised me. Something surprised me in a positive way. This surprised me in a bit of a negative way. It was not as good as I thought it was going to be once I actually read it. And yep. uh, But I still really want to play one because I have a desire to play a bard in a melee capacity or in yep. a combatant capacity. And I would have to find some ways to either, whether it's a multi-class, then get into this or something else or some other way, perhaps mixing this with a, with the wizard is probably the way it would do a blade singer. I actually thought that
2: I actually thought with a swashbuckler, this multi-class could be really hot. I thought that that could be a really neat combination uh, because swashbuckler needs a little bit of help. And so I thought that that could be really neat. And I actually thought, The Flourishes, again, I think the Flourishes are really cool. I think that they're the best part of this subclass, but I totally agree with you. You can't do them often enough if it's tied to your Bardic Inspiration, which also makes the Apex ability at level 14 really, it makes it a really good Apex ability because it allows you to go ahead and decouple your uses from your Bardic Inspiration.
1: And now you can do it all the time.
2: Yeah. Now the downside is of course that it, it also limits it, right? So it's by level fourteen, I think your Bardic inspiration die is what a D ten, I think, point. Yeah. And so it says, well, you don't have to spend the die anymore, but it's only going to be a D six now. Well, a D six at tier three and tier four. If you're adding a when if you're doing defensive flourish and adding it onto your AC, that's pretty hot. But taking an additional an additional D six of mundane damage, most creatures you're gonna be facing worth their salt in tier three and tier four require magical damage anyway. Not that great.
0: They needed to up the damage type in this in some fashion.
1: If anything else, they could have just stepped you down one. You get it at ten. You so you can use it for a D eight. When you go up to a D twelve, you get to use it for free, but you only get a D ten. You don't have to go going all the way down to a six was a lot. Yeah. Yep. Okay. I oh, do so agree. Yeah. I do understand why they didn't do all martial weapons. I know what I get what they were trying to do. They were trying to make the sword swallowing blade performer. Yeah,
2: the dervish, yeah. The dervish class.
1: Yeah. And that's why it's only got the two fighting styles too, because it wants you to just be a dueling style fighter, is what they were trying to do. So they tried to make one that was a bashy fighter and one that was a finesse fighter, I guess. And yeah, they probably should have just combined them. But again, yep. I think the one thing that would have made this one better, because I like the flourishes as well, is let them use their charisma modifier.
2: Yep, yep, always. Yep. It doesn't scale, but it le- but it gives them more uses, and that's I think important here. And then, so if you use their charisma modifier, what would you do for master's flourish to, or would you rewrite the apex ability altogether?
1: Ooh, when I see charisma modifier, in the same way I said about College of Valor to replace oh, I should oh, say like yeah, 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 their, to hit stats, their prime, yeah. their weapon stat with their charisma modifier.
2: Hey there, travelers. Do you want early access to all of our episodes? How about exclusive content, live broadcasts, and the chance to throw dice with your favorite hosts and fellow fans? You can do all that by signing up for our Patreon at www.patreon.com slash ttjourneys. But wait, there's more. For the next month, you can get a free coffee mug for signing up at the Adventurer level. Plus, Adventurer level Patreons automatically get complimentary copies of our latest book, The Traveler's Guide to the Multiverse, available on DMs Guild. We love doing this show for y'all, and your support helps us keep creating and producing great content for you. We have tiers to fit any budget for a monthly commitment, so join us today at www.patreon.com slash ttjourneys. One more in Xanathar's Guide to Everything, The College of Whispers. Let's see if we can knock Mr. Miller off of his pedestal here, because it's been, a, been an awful lot of him tonight.
1: Not me. I got a
2: six. I got a three, so not me either.
0: And I rolled this at advantage. That is a 19.
2: Yeah, cool. All right. So, Mr. Miller
0: college whispers is where i started my bards because as we've mentioned many times i love an intrigue and a political intrigue game and this was the bard that i thought fit that really well but from the shadows like i was building a thieves guild and thieves guild type people and whispers flavor wise fit into that very well what i have found is that the mechanics don't measure up to that flavor necessarily and other things flavor a little bit better than the whispers but i still love this subclass very much i think that there's a lot of interesting things that are unique with this that can be done though Some of them are a lot more niche than I originally five years ago thought they were. Four years ago, I thought, oh, I would use this all the time. And what I've seen through play at my table, play myself, and in reading this is that some of these abilities are a lot more niche than what I originally thought. So where I talk about how it plays is different than how it reads. In this case, that really hurt my rankings of the Whisper Bark for mechanics that fell to a two. There were just other things that were honestly just more mechanically sound. Not that I didn't like these abilities. They were just mechanically more sound or more useful. You'll come across those situations more. I think you just won't, I don't know. I think this requires a little bit more in the game, but I thought of the Spy, the Intrigue Master, the Whisper's Bard is, has a perfect amount of dark, which is the kind of characters I really like to get into. And, you know, psychic damage is one of my favorite types of damage. And with an ability that drops a condition, while, again, it may not be the easiest thing, situation to set up or the easiest way to do it, conditions are hot for me. I think anytime you're dropping yeah. conditions, you're affecting the battlefield, you're affecting the encounter in a way that is a bit less than expected.
2: So I am going to thoroughly and outwardly call you full of crap. Okay. How could you possibly rank its mechanics second when psychic damage is one of your favorite damage and we have continually asked wizards to go ahead and make subclasses that have abilities that grant conditions and that's exactly what this subclass does. This is a condition monster. How can you possibly say that it is 7th out of 8? How can? I hear what you're saying. <laughs>
0: And the, I will own this foible. The, I just felt, and again, because of play at the table, some of these abilities did not come up as frequently as abilities i have seen from other bards. Bear so the mind, sword bard that seen- can't
2: actually do the thing it's known for was mechanically better than the College of Whispers. Did I say that? Yes, I did. You did, because the sword so- came up four.
0: And I'm going to say because your ability to have a fighting style happens all the time. is always on, always useful. That's a difference. I think that this has – some of these abilities
1: are more situational. I'll take a stab at the question.
2: <laughs> yep. Yeah, yeah, please, Glenn. Absolutely. Because I ranked
1: it mechanically three. I
2: don't – totally disagree with both of you, but have at it.
1: Sir. Okay. Yeah. And I will address it from the perspective of playing Bodhi the College of Whispers part. And I like the character. Oh,
2: interesting. Okay.
1: I had a lot of fun <laughs> with the character. The only ability on this list that's worth is Psychic Blades. Okay. It gives you your extra damage like a rogue, which is what it's trying to emulate. The downside to that being is because it's tied to your bardic inspiration, which it needs to be because you're a bard, I get that. But because it's tied to your inspiration, that means that a College of Whisper Bard will almost never give inspiration to somebody else because it's part of their main Mm. damage capabilities, Interesting. It takes that one piece of the bard and totally focuses it in on just hurt the son of a bitch more, right? So I never gave inspiration to anybody, not a soul, right? But that is hot in terms of a combat ability. But let's move on from there. It's the only one that I think is worth a crap. Words of terror. It's not that there's no interest here. It's not that there's no intrigue. There's no flavor because they are cool. They're just useless, Words of terror, if you speak to a humanoid alone for at least one minute, how many scenarios Mm -hmm. for one of your core abilities that you're going to get at third level, how many scenarios, even on the role-playing side, are you going to be able to get that guy that you have to convince to come over here and talk to you away from everybody else for one whole minute so you can scare the crap out of him?
2: Yeah, I suppose it's the alone word that's the key, isn't there? Yeah. (laughs)
1: Mantle of Whispers. This is a wicked cool ability, and I did use it once because Lee Wanika killed a guy that we were interrogating, right? We're talking to the guy, and his evil master possesses him and talks to us in a big, scary voice, and at the very end twists his neck so violently that he dies. But the entire townsfolk watched us go into this tiny little tent with the guy, and now he's dead. So we can't just have him walk out because he's dead. (laughs) We can't let everybody know that he's dead. They'll think we killed him. But with Mantle of Whispers, you can, if somebody, this is how specific it is, you can get, you can adopt a humanoid's persona, but it's if they die within 30 feet of you, you can magically capture its shadow as your reaction. And then use it sometime between now and when you finish a long rest to magically take on their persona and impersonate them. Unless your party is a bunch of murder hobos, this is not a useful ability. It's going to come up once ever in the campaign maybe twice where somebody happens to have died near you and you need people to think they're still alive and then you get to the last one for shadow lore at 14th level you gain the ability to weave dark magic into your words and tap into a creature's deepest fears as an action you can magically whisper a phrase that only one person within 30 feet of you can hear so as an action we're talking about in a combat scenario it automatically succeeds if it can't hear you or doesn't speak your language. And what do you get for this? An eight-hour charm. That's it. That level 14. Yeah. I guess
0: it uh, kind of sum up what Glenn... But it's crap. Yeah. What, <laughs> what Glenn for, d- detailed, and, and I would say at the table, what sounds cool plays poorly. Because mm. Glenn used okay. the one ability one time. The, uh, the first ability that he mentioned, the one
2: where psychic blades, yeah,
0: other than psychic blades, the other ability w- w- was used, I think, one time by Glenn.
1: Nope, uh, never found a use for it because actually, of one minute oh, he, alone.
0: Yeah, the one minute alone. I've seen that used one time, one game in six years of playing a 5e. One time I've seen that used, and a lot of College of Whispers bards have been played at tables I've been at. And, and I built the character for the game that it was designed to play in. I built the type of game it's designed to play in and I struggled in finding moments for its abilities to shine. I think that's why the mechanics fell so hard for me. Yes, it does all the things that
1: we keep talking about, but it does them poorly. But it also (laughs) doesn't do what it says it's going to do. College of Whispers is supposed to effectively be spy bards. This isn't spy bards. This is murder Assassin bards yeah
2: yep and thus as we said at the beginning of the show sometimes ranking these were tough because <laughs> you you y'all are right that's i initially read through this and thought that i ranked it top for mechanics and now listening to your play story glenn is like oh nope it sounds I, cool when i it read it i was excited really to cool. play it i'm like
0: yeah i'm gonna be a yeah. spy it sounds really
2: cool <laughs>
1: yeah no yep all right i was half a rogue with <laughs> half a sneak attack i so. Cross a multi into rogue in order to improve myself.
2: Okay. So next we get into, uh, first it appeared in Mystic Odysseys of Theros, and then eventually appeared in Tasha's Cauldron of Everything, the College of Eloquence Bard. So let's see what we got here. D20s. 16. 15. 19. Ah, killing it, baby. Killing it. All right, sir. College of Eloquence.
1: I object on the grounds of Brooklyn, your honor. On the grounds of Brooklyn. It's from Newsies. sleep till Brooklyn. Wrong (laughs) reference. It was from Newsies. I know. But we're doing music now. So
0: I went no music. Newsies is a musical, kid. I'm aware of that. But I like (laughs) the Beasties better than
1: Newsies. (laughs) Yeah, me too.
2: Don't ever say that to Jenny. Never, because I think you value your life. I you sure love. Fan? I, <laughs> well, she's I a I, Broadway fan in general. Yeah. I love
0: Newsies. Right? I, it's not that I don't like it. It's just I like the Beasties more.
2: Mm, Fair enough. I, I'm, I'm telling you, them fighting word. You Off can, you could risk that if you want. <laughs> All right, right. Lounika, College of Eloquence. College of Eloquence. So, I've said
0: before. Mystic Odysseys of Theros it was this book that I never played in the realm. I'm not a big – I didn't play those – I didn't play Magic at the time that that came out, but I have really liked – many of the elements it brought to the game. We learned through a recent episode of that the piety thing came out really nicely. I've loved some of the character lineages that have ancestries that have come out of there. Specifically the Leonid is one of my absolute favorites in the game. There's so many things from this book I like and this subclass is yet another one, and I am so glad it made the crossover to Dossels. The beauty is it allows it to be played in organized play. It doesn't have to be something specific to Theros anymore. It gives it a bit of clout, which so can show up in these pickup games in a little bit better, but I just like what it does. I, I love playing this in our class warfare. The subclass abilities were fun. They played right to the strengths and the things I love about the game very well. Silver Tongue is damn near game-breaking. And at, higher, and at higher levels, it is so it, it, at higher levels, and it is so super solid at the lower levels. You're just going to win with, sil- with, with, with Silver Tongue. Unsettling Words is good for your own spells and others. I used it and I knew it was going to be good in the class warfare. I should have been using it more, red- more readily and earlier because the ability to lower your enemy's save for either your next ability or to lower, use my bonus action and let your other party member do their big spell, is killer. Killer. And you're doing it at your Bardic Inspiration. At higher levels, you're dropping somebody saved by a D8 or a D10. Come on now. Come on now, that's how you fight a dragon. Have an eloquence bard with you, and make sure that dragons say as soon as you recognize that they are out of their legendary their legendary resistances, or what have you, start <laughs> dropping that. That's yeah. the way to get it done. Expanding your bardic inspiration, it, 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 your it, the use of your bardic inspiration in the latter levels, it's just. Just really good. And again, adding the number, adding to the number you can inspire as a capstone ability. Look, capstone abilities in subclasses are not great generally, but this is in the upper level of those, as far as I'm concerned. I ranked this an eight out of eight for mechanics. I ranked it a seven out of eight for flavor. I just felt really strongly that this was a lot of the things that I love about the concept of a bard in my head. I found here. Much more so than I even found in the lore bar, to be honest with you. And Wild Card, nine, and Desire to Play Again, ten. The character I made for our Class Warfare is a character I want to play at its early levels, all the way up to where we had and beyond. That's a character I would play from one to 20. Drop mic. Love
2: it. All right. So, Mr. Myers, you scored this significantly lower than Mr. Miller. So, what did you see?
1: The eloquence bar, I think, is a solid bard. It's one of those that I didn't have any major complaints about. And as I'm going back through the abilities now, I'm actually thinking I should have moved it up mechanically. I think flavor-wise, they could have done a better job with talking to me about the eloquence bard and of what made them so eloquent. I know they're talking about – how do I phrase this? All bards talk fancy. (laughs) <laughs> Why's this one talk fancier right there there's not a whole lot there that says to me beyond silver tongue which is a hot ability for it yeah what makes them so persuasive what makes them silver tongue would have been a hot ability on the one for that's supposed to be fae influenced because that would make sense right yeah. I liked all of its abilities like right down the line. I honestly thought cutting words might be more appropriate here than unsettling words. And the only ability it has that I have any issue with at all is unsettling words. And that's just that it only lasts until the start of your next turn. Because, yeah, if there's enough table talk going on that you're specifically using that ability now on this turn, knowing that Josh between now and your next turn is going to cast a spell... That's going to make a difference on that. We need him to yeah. fail. Otherwise, it needs more longevity to it. If it's not going to be a reaction, it needs to have a minute that they get to keep it. 10 rounds with the next save within yeah. 10 rounds, a number two rounds. Number of rounds, number of rounds, your proficiency, your bonus, bonus, for proficiency bonus, charisma bonus, something. It needs yeah. to last me- just a little bit longer than that to, to truly shine. But I thought the Eloquence Bard was fine. It mostly just suffered by way of middle of the pack.
2: Yep. I would agree. I would agree. I really liked it. And I tried to reflect that in my want to play scores and my wild card scores to go ahead and boost it up a little bit because it just kept falling down specifically in its flavor. I thought that its mechanics were, were fine. I've ranked it a seven out of eight for its mechanics, but its flavor, I think you're exactly right. It just doesn't, it didn't really touch on why College of Eloquence is eloquent. Is so much more eloquent than everything else. And I think that's one thing, again, not to get general about the class here, but that's something that I saw in the subclasses in general, is that none of the sub for a primary a primary spellcaster class, there was no specialized spell list for the subclasses, which I think hurt its flavor. That's where a lot of other spellcaster classes get their flavor is from spell lists that are dedicated to their subclasses. There isn't one. No. And, and this is another one. This is a, a subclass that really would have benefited from something like you get expertise in proficiency or deception or something like that. Like some sort of a skill bump to represent that, that the, you mean what they're per- saying about the benefit of the class. Yeah.
1: What's that? Did you mean in persuasion?
2: yeah you know, either persuasion 50%. or deception or okay. said one of those things yeah. deception yeah. i was confused I any mean, yeah and the, those are reflected in silver tongue when it's like when you make those types of checks you can you basically can take 10 on them instead of having to go ahead and roll or or you, know, you never have to worry about anything lower than 10 but i don't know it's still i don't know it's still, it was missing something in the flavor aspect and i'm not mm. quite sure yeah not
1: sure not, enough not, sauce. not quite sure
2: what to do about it yeah not enough lore sauce yeah last one from Atasha's cauldron of everything the creation college Let's see what we got here oh man Rolling to like poop tonight it's a nine for me nine seven all right mr miller do it again 20 there you go Woo-hoo. all right finally i get to go first with one so, again, a very interesting one. So, Glenn, your score and mine was were very similar. Elwinika's yours was lower, but this was actually our collectively highest ranked subclass. Was the College of Creation? I thought that pretty much from stem to stern, this was a amazingly flavorful subclass. I really enjoyed the abilities that they got, and the, in the way that the College of Eloquence didn't. I thought that this that the powers that the College of Creation got really sort of Played into the flavor of the subclass itself. I thought that it was wonderfully written. If anything, I thought his powers were a little bit lackluster, but it was still a really great subclass. If I'm looking through here, with like the, with the performance ability, for example, like when you when you can channel your magic through song of creation to create one non-magical item of your choice. It doesn't have any. Doesn't really escalate. It doesn't do anything like that. You can make bigger items. You can do stuff like that. It doesn't really like. I don't know. It doesn't really escalate or anything like that. I wish that had more to it. I thought that the dancing items that you get at level six, when you can go ahead and create basically you ma- you the magic dancing sword, I thought that was hot. I love that ability. And I thought super, again, flavorful, even though the dancing item was maybe not super. <laughs> not It wasn't like the most uh, most amazing weapon <laughs> that it's ever, that's ever been created, but just flavor for days in the subclass. And I absolutely loved it. So
0: I... I'm really of a mixed thought about. Actually, not so much a mix. I acknowledge that it's a strong class. I think Tasha's in general made stronger classes for everything that they chose to make. So I acknowledge that it has some strengths that are a bit beyond other things. But honestly, I didn't feel that they were significantly better as far as the mechanics goes. I actually ranked it and a 5 again middle of the pack. And for flavor, I hear what you're saying, and I think for me it's just not my style of character. Again, I went with a 6, middle of the pack. It started higher and went down as it would have it, it, it could have been higher, but other things I just liked better from a flavor perspective, which is what that's all about. And then for desire to play and wild card, it was really underwhelming from all the t- all that I've heard in the zeitgeist about this subclass when you hear about Tasha's subclasses you hear about oh they overclocked this or oh it's OP it's all this and that and when I got down and I looked at this and read it and I read it twice I'm like "Mm, I don't see it all that op. like all of the things that I was hearing that this super powerful the strongest bard class could it should be i didn't feel it was I, I found it very underwhelming i spoke previously about it's rare that i do a wild card or desire to play under a five guess what spoiler alert i chose four in both categories for this one this is I have no interest in playing this particular subclass and this is one that if it was handed to me i would actually ask is there any way i could play a different kind of bark? I'll be happy to play a bard at your table, Mr. Storyteller, but I just don't really have a desire to do that. I will say one thing to, again, play at the table. I find when I, especially at pickup games, creation mechanics really slow the game down really slow it down when you start creating things, because there's a whole lot of question. There's a lot of back and forth. I try to be very up to speed as a storyteller on what things have those types of abilities. So I'm ready for them and prepared for them. And good players will come prepared. They'll have those conversations. Bard's at my table. Who have picked up magical secrets and polymorphs for different things, they come primed with their stats. They tell me, hey, I want to do a these are some of the things I'm looking at. Glenn, you came when with to a class warfare previously with your um with your tokens for the things you wanted to change into, players do that if they want to make things. They come ready for that. But I think certainly in organized play, that are pickup games and random games at stores and conventions, I think this plays very slowly at the table. I think it's tough for newer players to pick up on. I think there's a lot of prep that goes into being ready to play this. That I personally wouldn't be interested in taking on. At there's so many other bars that I'd rather play than. This.
2: That's so interesting to me that you weren't fascinated by the Artificer Bard, but that's, I guess if that's
0: a, Part of me is if I'm going to play an Artificer, I'd rather play the Artificer. I had a lot of fun with that.
1: Yeah, that is fair. College of Creation was one of my favorites. I gave it my highest rank for flavor and I ranked it third for mechanics because they're pretty damn solid. Just tying it back to the lore of the Song of Creation and tapping into that for the specialties of the college was enough for me to start getting hooked anyway, and then the moat of potential, of all the things that I've read through all of the classes of the bard and the subclasses that they've tried to do with the inspiration die to add to it or alter it in some way to make, to add something else interesting to it. Yeah. The moat of potential, I said creation. the moat of creation the first time, I think, but whatever. The moat of potential that you automatically create that floats around somebody like a little stone when you give them bardic inspiration is cool. And it's got... Yeah great effects that take a the, depending on what you use it on so just overall that one's probably my favorite third level ability of all of the bard subclasses yeah performance of creation i agree that's the one that kind of keeps it down but it's still cool it just requires a lot of outside of the box thinking as an example at third at sixth level when you can now performance or creation something large a in a way boat, a John John boat off of a pirate ship, a big ass rowboat that can carry like 10 people. is large, right? So if you needed to, you could magic a shimmering boat out of thin air and row your party across whatever badness is in front of them. There's lots of ways it can be used, but again, if it's not in the hands of somebody who's going to come up with creative ways to use it, it's a power that's not doing anything. But I, I really liked the dancing item. It yeah. really makes me want to write some enchantment spells that aren't about just charming people, but are about tr- enchanting objects. Yep. But I like I like this subclass a lot. It's, it was one of my favorites. I think it is my highest ranked for, if I was going to roll and create a bard at this point right now with the subclasses existing, I'd go with this one. Yeah. Yep. Interesting. It,
0: I would never say no to this at my table. If somebody has the desire and want to play this, have at it! I think you're going to have a blast, and I will work my game to make sure that you do. It's just not my cup of
2: tea. Hmm. I, uh, yeah, I to each their own. So,
1: I suppose we can right. be magnanimous enough to allow each other to have our own opinions. <laughs> yeah. To allow him to have an nice opinion of his own,
2: exactly. You know, yeah, in yeah, this yeah.
0: free country where people are allowed <laughs> to have opinions, at least for now, I don't think that's up for grabs during this session of the. I'll
1: stop. Yeah, no politics. Politics are not welcome. On Tabletop Journeys. All
2: right. Now we jump to our last one here. We jump from Tasha's Cauldron of Everything to Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft and the College of Spirits. Initiative, gentlemen. That's a 15 for me.
1: That's a 7. I lost it. Hang on. It rolled underneath my monitor stand behind my D30. Yeah, I have one of those propping up my monitor. That's how you've been winning. It just sits underneath the monitor. Okay, I have no idea what it was on. That is a 19. All right. You get to go ahead and wrap us up tonight then, Glenn. On the... The Spirits, yep. Quick, easy, short, and sweet. It's crap. Done. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) This is my least favorite subclass. I thought it's a hot, steaming... I think it's a hot, steaming pile of garbage. And I'm going to tell you... I'll summarize it up with my biggest bitch about it. Tales from Beyond seems like it's going to be cool. It wants to be cool. It's almost cool, but it's not. It's a big, it really giant, confusing cool. blob of poop yeah. that will take you three hours just to read to decide if you get to pick. <laughs> but you don't even get to pick. You have to roll every time you use it, so you never know what you're going to get. It's like the power that's not a power. It's, I don't know, it's like a random number generator that might be cool and it might be crap. Yeah. You never know what's going to come up. It's like the worst w- wild magic ever. <laughs> Yeah, a bard from – you talk to dead people. Okay, I get where we're going. We're going for the bard who might be like the the gypsy fortune teller lady. She's got a little different kind of performance going on maybe. I don't know, but that's not really fitting either. I just think it sucks. I went different than
0: you. I think it's Mechanics for (laughs) Four. Sorry. (laughs) I like the flavor. All those tables with all those options and while there's a lot and it's a lot to digest – To me, that brought flavor in a way very similar to the flavor that came out both in Eloquence and in Creation in that that gave me the flavor I wanted. And I really, when I was reading this after a recent conversation with a content creator who was doing stuff with Lamordia and stuff such like that, I really found that this would fit a Ravenloft campaign perfectly. I think it is not good, and it is all the things you said in any other setting, really.
1: (laughs) It makes perfect um, sense. In in, in a realm of torture and dismay, then a random roll of your power that may or may not produce something that's usable today would be perfectly fitting. You're right.
0: Yeah, (laughs) I just found that this really fit that. And if I was going to play a bard in a a Ravenloft campaign that is a strictly like out of the book, Van Richten's or Strahd type Ravenloft campaign. I would certainly really look towards this. I think this would be, I could have some fun with this. I gave it a wild card score of a 10 because it really surprised me. I didn't think I would like it all that much, to be honest with you. And I found that there's some things that I would find interesting. There's something about it that spoke to me and I have stories that I would want to play out using this character. Um, but I don't disagree on the complexity or yeah. the mechanical lack of goodness there. Yeah. It fell I pretty could, I could play it and
1: have fun, too. I really could. If I was handed one of these as a pre-gen, I'd have a blast.
2: Sure. Yeah. Exactly. If I only had to go ahead and play it once, absolutely. <laughs>
1: this end well, is not but
2: clean. It's, but
0: its mechanics I, I really are just into, bad. Yeah. Oh, they're awful, but I could they're, really lean into the creep factor in a good Raven Love campaign.
2: Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like I I could,
0: mean, This would be a good Halloween one-shot kind of character to play.
2: Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah. This is a subclass that I thought really suffered the most from the split between level 6 and level 14 when it doesn't get anything, right? That is that is honestly what hit its flavor more than anything else, because for 8 levels, you don't get to be this bard. You get to be the same bard as everybody else, and so you've really got to pour it on, but... Even if you look at the 6th level ability, a spirit session, it's an hour-long ritual. It's kind of like the same thing that you talked about, having to go ahead and pull somebody aside by themselves for a minute. I had to go ahead and frighten them. When are you ever going to be able to conduct an hour-long ritual? It says it can in, be done during a long or
1: short rest, but this is to yeah. get a spell of a maximum level of the number of people that you include in the ritual. So you have to have enough friends to get a high enough spell.
2: Yeah, it's just, it's just a lot. It's just a lot, and yeah, I did not rank this very high. This was the this was one of the few ones that I ranked under twenty. I don't know, so glad you ranked it pretty low yourself. So, I uh, give it yeah, this was, yeah, yeah, this was uh, this was not not top of the stack, which is too bad because the Van Richten's Guide book was really good, and I thought that when we talked about Van Richten's, we talked about this subclass and we talked about how much we liked it, but now that we're putting it up with the yardstick against other bards, it's just not, it's just not holding its own. so
1: At that you know. point, we were reading it for flavor and how it fit into Ravenloft, which totally. it does yeah, wonderfully, yeah, yeah. as Lee yeah, yeah. pointed it out. It does, it does fit that great. Yeah. It, it fits the book it came yeah. out in.
2: Yeah. And I think it just has the same problem that other subclasses have is that their powers read really well, but don't actually translate to the table well. And so that's a very interesting, I'm not sure that there have been other classes that we've looked at their subclasses and say, and said that this, that seems to be a uniquely barred problem. And so I'm not kind of sure what to do about that. So
0: I'm not sure that's uniquely barred. I think it's a realization after a year of doing this. We've talked about, I agree too, that these are, this is our last class, discussion, our last class ranking at this point. And I think that we probably have had the same thoughts in our very first ones. Hmm. We just didn't have the words to do it. Let's be honest. When we started doing class rankings, we were only a year into this podcast. We are now two years deep into this podcast and our class rankings have gotten better as we've gone. I think there's some things that we've seen better. We've also... Just got done with the successful Kickstarter that we're nearing completion on. And we have been writing subclasses. So we have a a deeper understanding today than we had two years ago. We've grown within this hobby. So I think our tastes have changed. And we have started playing a lot more games, whether it be running them for our Patreons or playing an occasional game. We're starting to get back into conventions. These are experiences that we didn't have with 5e when we started. And I think that we're coming to bet different realizations as a result of that.
1: I think that's really yep. well said and a really good point. We have grown and evolved and our the number of tools in our take- the mechanics of a subclass apart and put it back together tool shed are significantly bigger than they were, which makes me wonder if we went back to one of the first ones that we did and redid it.
2: Maybe read you rogue or ranger. If
1: we would see it differently. Yeah. I yep. just wonder sometimes.
2: We may have that opportunity because we have some thoughts about what to go ahead and do with these class discussions in the new year. And so hopefully we'll be putting some uh, some ideas together on what we're going to do on that front going forward. But in the meantime, here's how the subclasses broke down. So our number one ranked subclass was College of Creation. And number two was College of Whispers, Col- Number three was College of Eloquence, helped largely by by Mr. Miller. Number four was College of Valor, despite my best efforts. Number five was College of Lore, which again, being the first one in the player's handbook, having it number five out of eight. That sounds about right. Six was College of Spirits. Seven was College of Swords. And bottom of the barrel, College of Glamour. So from from Xanathar's Guide everything.
1: Huh? Glamour and, and, and look, Spirits are my two least favorites. So. Yeah,
2: exactly. L- looking over the scores, I don't see any surprises in here. These scores all seem to make sense for me for how I read them. I, obviously, there's some variation in like individual subclasses for one or the other of us. But if we kind of look at the average, I think the average played out exactly how we thought it was going.
0: Yep. I think the average is pretty close to how I how I thought of them. Yep. And certainly the top three were definitely the top three. Creation, clearly not my favorite, but I get why people think it's strong. So I get where you're coming from. It yeah. solidly falls not my thing. While I differ from that, I'm not opposed to that being the number one for tabletop journeys. I think there's a reason why it has that clout in the, in, in the tabletop community. And there's a reason why it has that clout with the two of you that I'm not opposed to. Yep.
2: All right. Let's go ahead and put a cap on this for this evening. So let's see, what do we have coming up next? So we have finished up our barred coverage at this point. This coming Tuesday, we begin our actual play of Masks, The Worst Generation, which was so much stinking fun. Any other final thoughts for you, gentlemen, before we wrap up here tonight?
1: Nah. I think it's been bad enough. (laughs) <laughs> it's been bad enough. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah.
0: It, it has been the thing. I loved, I loved our class discussions. I loved our class rankings. I'm looking forward to where we go next with this type of discussion. I, we've talked a little bit off air about some ideas, and I think that you out there in the audience are going to
1: be in for a treat as we okay. keep going. No slowing down. We've got this. Uh- couple of years from now, we're going to get to start all over with a whole new set of 12 classes. I know, right? Ooh. Exactly. Fun, fun, A couple fun. of years
2: ago, nothing. They were already starting to dribble out. So...
1: But they're not right, official everybody See, yet.
2: And uh, no, that's fair. That's fair. It's so, still it's still UA. And so go fill out your survey though. Well, mm-hmm. actually, by the time the episode comes out here, actually the next survey might be out by the time this episode airs. So that's a- <laughs> there will be a survey. So yeah, go fill go it out. out exactly right. <laughs> so, anyway, thank you very much everybody for listening. I hope you enjoyed uh, the Bard subclass episode here, and uh, we'll be back next week talking to the creator of Guild sixty six. Looking forward to that episode then. So, in the meantime, have a good week everybody. We'll talk to you then. Thanks so much everyone. Night. Thank you for joining us. This has been Tabletop Journeys. We would love to hear your feedback on our show today. Join us at www.ttjourneys.com, where you can subscribe to the blog to leave comments and see all the content that we publish beyond the podcast.
1: You can also stay in touch by subscribing to our Twitter, at TT Journeys, by joining our Facebook group, Tabletop Journeys, or by sending an email directly to podcast at ttjourneys.com. And remember, if you want early access to all of our episodes, a chance to drop dice with your favorite hosts, and maybe even appear in one of our actual plays, you can join our Patreon to help support the show at patreon.com forward slash ttjourneys. If you're listening to us on Stitcher, iTunes, Podchaser, Spotify,
0: or Audible, we would appreciate it if you would like and subscribe to the podcast on that platform. Full episodes come out every week on Saturdays, and every Tuesday features our actual play episodes. Thank you for listening and for being a part of our growing community. And in the words of another traveler along our path, we bid you shade and sweet water.